Well, good morning. So good to see all of you here this morning. Uh, my name is Matt, and I serve as one of the pastors here. And uh, such a privilege to be with you here today. And again, special greeting to those of you who are with us for the very first time. Uh, so glad that you're here and that you chose to uh, spend some of your Sunday with us. And uh, again, special uh, welcome back to our college students who are back in the house today. So good to have you back. We trust that you had a great break and, and we missed you while you were away. So, so good to have you back. And uh, finally, uh, welcome to those of you who are uh, jumping onto the Atlanta Falcons bandwagon uh, as we do head into the NFC Championship. So yeah, that's a, that's, I appreciate that. It's good. Got a, uh, my dad and a good friend from Atlanta here today. They pulled in just in time to, to watch the second half. And so, man, what an exciting game. And uh, somebody as I was walking in was like, well, you better have something good to say today because, you know, your team won. So they, you should be in a good mood. So anyway, Plenty of room for you on the, the Falcons bandwagon, tons of Southern hospitality there, so uh, excited about that. Well, last week we launched a new series that we are calling uh, What to Wear, and would love for you to catch up with us if you are joining us for the first time or you're just stepping back in, and you can always do that through our audio podcast on iTunes. Uh, you can also watch all the messages at missionpoint.net. You can go there and see all the messages, and uh, I'll be leading and teaching us today, and then Kondo will be with us uh, next Sunday to lead us through uh, part three. And uh, in this series, What to Wear, I know this sounds like a series on modesty or, or possibly uh, an exploration of all of Kondo's cool clothes. Um, but it's not that. It's, it's actually something a little bit different. And regardless uh, of how you may have be coming in with how last year went for you, we are operating on the belief and the assumption that all of us Regardless of how 2016 was, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, we are coming in with a hope in this new year that 2017 could be a great year. And, and, and for some of us, we've set up resolutions and goals to that end, to uh, do our best to uh, become the best versions of ourselves this year. And yet we know that resolutions can be uh, a bit of a fickle thing. Um, every January on Twitter, uh, the hashtag resolution fail begins to appear. And, um, you know, there are literally, there are thousands and thousands of tweets of people. Here we are, January 15th, 15 days into the new year, thousands of people who are already confessing uh, resolution fails. And so I thought it would be great to, to share some of those with you, a few of my uh, personal favorites uh, as we get started this morning. Hashtag resolution uh, fail. So this first one, this woman wrote, uh, being more organized in 2017 is going well. I showed up for work and found out I actually had today off. <laughs> Hashtag resolution fail. Um, this next one, this man wrote, I, I vowed to be more mindful of what I'm doing. And then I realized I'd been boiling eggs for 45 minutes. <laughs> Hashtag resolution fail. Um, I'm going to be healthy this year, said one person. And then me next morning, eat slice of cake for breakfast. (laughs) Resolution fail. Uh, Made a resolution to be a safer driver. Three days later, I rear-end someone because I thought I saw Dr. Phil (laughs) driving behind me. (laughs) Oh, I just, I love that. I just love to see that, like, play out. Like, oh, I don't know how that goes, but it's amazing. Okay. Um, This man wrote... Just saw three people outside jogging, and it inspired me to get up and close the blinds. 
<laughs> Hashtag resolution fail. Oh, my favorite. My mom resolved to stop yelling, and when I asked her how she would do that, she yelled, How am I supposed to know? <laughs> oh, man. Hashtag resolution fail. So, so good. Well, the University of Scranton has done some extensive work studying New Year's resolution. And their research shows that some 200 million Americans uh, set resolutions or goals each year, some form or fashion. Uh, But their research also shows that only a handful of us stick to it for more than a few weeks. Uh, Fewer than half are still going after six months. And only 8% are actually ultimately successful. And the truth is change uh, can be hard. The average person makes uh, New Year's resolutions 10 separate times, the same one, 10 separate times without success. This one's crazy. Even after a heart attack, only 14% of patients make any lasting changes around eating or exercise. Now, not everyone loses, of course. Uh, Fitness clubs actually bank on our failure. NPR recently reported that there is a fitness chain where uh, at each location they have an average of 6,500 members. And yet their physical maximum capacity inside each gym is about 300 people. Isn't that crazy? These gyms purposefully oversell their capacity with year-long contracts, knowing that most of us won't show up more than a few times. How does it feel to know people are profiting off of our blown goals? Like, that's not a, that's not a good thing. But hey, resolutions and goals are a good thing, and they can be a great thing. I've got several goals myself for this year. But as you can see, and as we know from our experience, resolutions in and of themselves are not the recipe for having a great year. And in this series, we are looking at ways not only to have a great year, but how to absolutely win the year. And it has nothing to do with resolutions. It has to do with being prepared and paying attention to what you're wearing. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And uh, we will study from there today. If you don't, we'll have the scripture up on the screen for you. Now, Ephesians is uh, a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the churches in Ephesus, which is now modern-day Turkey. And uh, Paul is writing this letter around 62 AD. He is currently a prisoner of Rome in a Roman prison, so he's writing this letter from jail. And in this letter, unlike uh, all of his other New Testament letters, Paul is not dealing with any one specific issue. He's not confronting anybody. There's no specific church drama It's as if he's opening up his best thoughts on what it means to be a Christ follower. Hey, if you're someone that follows Jesus, these are some things you should think about and consider as you live. This is what it looks like to set up a relationship with God. In this passage is a collection of some of the final thoughts of this letter to the church of Ephesus. So again, I'm going to read through the whole passage that we're studying in this series, and then we'll go back and look at a few of the verses specifically. Starting off, uh, Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 
Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish, extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the, all the Lord's people. And as we discussed last week and as we see in this passage, we are at war. That was true last year, and that's true as we begin to start this new year. And not a war against flesh and blood, although that's a lot of what we see right in front of us. And I believe the struggle that we see in front of us with flesh and blood is a result of the actual war, the spiritual war that is happening around us. This cosmic battle against spiritual unseen forces who will not be satisfied until we are completely distracted, derailed, discredited, and destroyed. And regardless of where you are coming in today and where you're at with your relationship with Jesus, this battle, this war, is coming for you. It's not an issue of if. It's an issue of when. Now, April 15th, taxes are due. And my friends, that day comes whether you like it or not. And you can ignore it. You can pretend it doesn't exist. But it will come. And if you're not prepared, you will pay the price. The same is true of the spiritual war that we face. Until we die or until the final horn blows and Jesus comes and returns to claim the final victory, the war is on. Have you ever noticed that when you decide to do something good, when you decide to step up and respond, like maybe there's just something on your heart that's burdening, burdening you or you feel like the Lord is speaking something to you and you decide, you know what, I'm going to do something about that. Have you ever noticed that when you make that choice or, or that declaration that suddenly things begin to get a little more difficult? I'm going to pray with my spouse more. I'm going to invite uh, that neighbor to church. I'm going to go down and talk to him and I'm just going to invite them. Hey, I'd love for you to come to church with me. I'm going to talk to that person at work about Jesus. I've heard about their struggle and some of the things going on in their life, their story. Uh, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to talk to them about Jesus. Or, you know, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to start reading the Bible more with my kids. I mean, we spend so much time staring at screens. I, just, I think I want to just lead us into lifting our heads up and, and getting around God's word. And yet, no sooner do you make these decisions, these declarations, you suddenly find resistance. You, you may pray with your spouse once or twice, but then you find it oddly difficult to find rhythm and to do it again. You get an email about the crisis at work, which distracts and just sort of pulls you away. And rather than being fully engaged at home, everyone's back engaged in their screens. Suddenly some kind of temptation flares up and you mess up. And in that you discourage yourself from being able to share the gospel. Who am I? How in the world can I help other people? How can I share the gospel of Jesus? How can I help people with their relationship with God when I can't keep myself out of trouble? 
These are the devil's schemes. That is the war. You dive into foster care with a full head of steam or you decide you're going to adopt and bring a child home and you get rolling and you start the process and you take the classes and you fill up the forms and the paperwork and you start to save some money. But then, oh, all of a sudden there is just this snag and you don't hear back from the caseworker. Suddenly this person that that was being very helpful is, is nowhere to be found and, and you find yourself and you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting And what was once this sense of excitement and the sense of belief in you of that, hey, I'm going to be the change and I'm going to make a difference in my world suddenly starts to feel a little bitter and disappointing. See, the powers of darkness, they do not want that orphan brought home. They do not want the cycle of dysfunction broken for the foster child. And that is the war. You've come to school to learn, to to get a degree. You have a sense of inspiration, something in your life that has spoken to you, that's given you a vision for your life. And you want your life to matter and you want your life to count. And you have big plans for the ways in which you're going to point your life and it's going to make a difference for the sake of the gospel. But then you meet him. And you start to focus more on his promises than the promises of the one who brought you here. Your vision fades, your your focus changes, and then he breaks your heart. You're left with a lot of pieces to pick up, and you're just not sure that you can stay here. Because it's just too hard. See, the enemy has heard whisperings of the vision that the Lord has given you, and they will do anything to take you out. That is the war. When your marriage is on the brink and the the bickering has gotten worse, but you just have this moment of clarity and you decide to do something about it and you think, you know what? I'm going to just take care of some things at home, things that have been on the back burner. Uh, I'm going to surprise her with that and I'm going to be there with flowers and an apology. And you just have this sense of of just building hope within you of, you know what? We can do this. We're going to make it. It's going to be just fine. And then she texts you angrily to complain about the bill you forgot to pay and and all of the areas that you keep missing it. And you find yourself deflated and you just shrink back and you think, why bother? This is never going to change. There are spiritual forces at play that do not want your marriage to succeed. It's not if, it's when. And that is the war. And unfortunately for many of us, the enemy's play does not have to be that big or that dramatic. For some of us, just keeping us busy and a little distracted is enough to silence the voice of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The tasks of just keeping up with the day-to-day sprinkled in with a little bit of drama keep us from being any kind of spiritual threat in the battle. And that is the war. And that's why we need the armor. That's why we need the full armor of God. Verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. The only way for us to win the war is to put on the armor. And not just a piece of the armor, but the full 
armor. Again, it's about wearing the right outfit. Being armed with only part of the armor of God is walking into the battle unprepared. Now, my boys, um, they love to get outside with the smallest amount of winter gear on as possible, okay? It's like this uh, fun little game that they play. And, you know, we uh, have lived here two years now, and they've gotten super tough. Uh, In fact, a couple weeks ago, when it sort of snowed in Atlanta, I mean, they were literally mocking our family and friends back home, like, ah, fools, it's not snowing down there. And, you know, it was really mean and disrespectful. But they have gotten so tough. Like, mom, why do I need a jacket? That's ridiculous. Well, because it's, you know, like minus zero and you could die. So you need to put on your jacket. And so we have this constant battle at home. And, um, you know, it's always fun to see how they get outside completely unprepared. Well, the other day I I walked by the window and I saw one of my sons outside uh, throwing the ball for his dog. And I looked out and I saw and he had his winter hat on. And I thought, great. Winter hat. Good job, buddy. But I knew a little bit better, so I thought I'm going to keep scanning the situation here. So I looked down and, you know, long sleeve t-shirt. And I thought, well, mm, that's debatable. You know, should really have a jacket, at least a sweatshirt. But okay, at least he's got long sleeves on. Oh, yep. There it is. Got it. No shoes. (laughs) He's got his winter hat on, but he's not wearing any shoes. Son, that winter hat does you no good if your whole body is not bundled up. And the same is true with the armor of God. You may have a tremendous sense of faith. The whole idea of this shield of faith extinguishing the flaming arrows. You've got that. You trust God all day long. He's God. I'm not. He's in control. He's got it. All good there. But when it comes to righteousness... So-so, I mean, that one's a little harder. I do okay. I mean, I, I don't, you know, mess up with big things, right? I mean, I'm not talking about like big sins, just, just little struggles here and they're not a big deal, right? And, you know, just, just little things. But hey, I totally trust God, right? So, so I'm good. See, you're like my son that's outside in 30 degree weather with a winter hat on and no shoes. Sooner than later, it's gonna stop working for him. And sooner than later, it's going to have you seriously hurt or taken out of the war. Verse 13, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. The desire to be fully suited in the armor of God is because the goal is not merely to survive. The goal is to stand firm, to stand undeterred, to stand unsurprised, to stand completely prepared, to be battle ready. And even though we're going to look at and we're going to study the armor in pieces, it must be worn in full. Today, though, we are going to talk about the belt of truth. Verse 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. The first piece of armor that Paul discusses is the belt of truth. It's uh, in the outfit of the soldier. The belt uh, is a crucial piece. 
It's the article in the armor that holds the whole thing together. And it not only prevents the outfit from falling off, which would be kind of embarrassing and awkward on the battlefield, but it also keeps things from moving around and getting in the way and hampering freedom of movement. Not to mention it gave a place to latch the sword. The belt is a key piece. And it's interesting that Paul refers to the belt as the representative piece of truth in the armor. And I wonder if it's because the truth of God is what holds the rest of our worlds together. It is the primary filter through which I process everything I do. The belt of truth holds it together. And if you want to succeed in the war, you must be grounded in the truth. And you and I know this is one of the trickiest elements in our day and age, in our time in history. We live in the information age and the internet has opened up so much information like never before. I remember as a kid growing up what a really big decision it was for my parents to purchase a set of encyclopedias. I, the salesman, you know, came to the door and, and had the whole pitch. And he had this huge set of books that weighed like five pounds a piece. And in these books, this set of books was all the information you could ever want. And it was over like $1,000. And, and if you were able to, to do that and pay that, well, then right on your own bookshelf, you could have all the information you could ever want. And I remember growing up and in middle school and high school, every research project I ever did went to the shelf and pulled open the encyclopedias and read through those. And now with Google and Wikipedia, there's endless amounts of information that are just a few clicks away. And with an overload of information, the truth can be hard to, to distinguish. Actor Denzel Washington was attending a red carpet event and was asked by a reporter about a fake news story that involved uh, him during the presidential election. And I want you to take a moment just to hear what he has to say. There's been a lot of buzz about this fake news. You were the subject of a fake news story. Oh, yeah, what they say? I was running for president. No, no, no I voted. No, what they say? You switched your support. I switched, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. What do you make of all the fake news that it affects If you, you don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed. If you do read it, you're misinformed. Hmm. So what do you do? That's a great question. What is the long-term effect of too much information? One of the effects is the need to be first, not even to be true anymore. So what a responsibility you all have to, be, to tell the truth, not just to be first, but to tell the truth. We live in a society now where it's just first. Who cares? Get it out there. We don't care who it hurts. We don't care who we destroy. We don't care if it's true. Just say it. Sell it. Anything you practice, you'll get good at what an unbelievable answer. Seriously, I want to just sit down with him and be like, tell me more. I mean, it's just, it's so good. Oh man, so quick on his feet. And it's so true. We live in a world where getting there first is more important than the truth. Doesn't matter what you say, doesn't matter who you hurt, just get it out there. And that's being reactionary. I think that's the opposite of the picture that Paul is painting and creating when he's talking about standing firm in the belt of truth. Standing firm is a posture of being prepared. It's a posture of readiness. You aren't surprised. And just like Denzel challenges the media to accept the responsibility of telling the truth, how much more important is it for us as Jesus followers to be grounded in the truth? But the truth 
is more accurate than just information. The truth is what falls in line with what God has to say. Aside from the overwhelming amounts of information that we have to sift through and deal with, the world that we live in attacks the very notion of truth. Relativism says that there is no absolute truth, just different perspectives that have subjective value according to their differences in perceptions. Information is not a bad thing. Differing perspectives are not a bad thing. But neutering the truth, it's deadly. In the high stakes of the war for the soul, in the world full of people questioning that truth even exists, this sounds like a masterful stroke of genius from the enemy. And before we talk about what to do and how to do it, let's recall and clarify once again, who is the enemy? Flesh and blood? No, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So if our battle is against the devil and spiritual forces of evil, and we're instructed to stand firm in the belt of truth, then what is the purpose of truth? To go on the attack? To truth bomb social media? To go out and debate people into believing? I believe here this is about our protection. The truth of God is to take root in our lives to protect us. When everything is confusing and there's so much information swirling around and no one wants to define what is true and what is not, do not be surprised. Do not be shaken. Do not be moved. Do not be deterred. Get God's word on you. Get God's word around you. A few verses very quickly. Romans 12, 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't fall in line with everything that's going around you, all the information, all of the pressure of what's true and what. No, 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 don't conform to that. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind through the word of God. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light for my path. This word is filled with, with instruction and direction and truth that can literally light our way. In John 8, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, in another version it says, abide in my word, live in my word. If you abide in my word, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Opinions will not set you free. Your opinions, others' opinions, they won't. The Bible will. Even when obeying the Bible is hard and uncomfortable, it will set you free. Now, do you believe everything that you watch on TV? No. Do you believe everything you read in the newspaper and the magazine headlines? Of course not. Do you believe everything you see on Facebook? I hope not. (laughs) Then why, why do we spend more time reading and watching what we know is a lie rather than reading what we know is truth? The question comes down to this. What will be the ultimate authority in your life? Is it going to be God's word or is it going to be the world? 
Will it be what God says is true or is it going to be public opinion? You need to decide. And you need to decide soon. You see, God's word tells you how you can be saved. It tells you that not only is your life not an accident, it has been created with a specific and beautiful design and purpose in mind. The Bible tells you how to forgive. It tells you how God can use you for good in the world. And there's so much beauty and so much power in this book. And yet the enemy has created a full-on assault to discredit it and to make it irrelevant. The belt of truth protects you from the lies of the evil one. And yet, if you are not reading the word of God, you may be outside wearing your winter hat without your shoes. I don't battle the enemy based on my feelings about myself. Battle them based on what God says is true. I don't prioritize time with my wife and kids because it's easy. It's because that's what God has told me to do. And what informs the rest of my life is what does God say about it? Listen, if my life is not held together by the belt of because God said so, things are going to fall off and fall apart. When the pressure comes, when the work deadline hits, when there's political partisanship, or when I just get too tired and distractions, Distracted, things will fall apart. If the things in my life are not built around the things that God has to say, and I'm losing the war. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Rabbis talk about the word of God like it's this precious jewel. And when you hold it up to the sunlight and you turn it, the light begins to just dance and just reflect through it differently. And as you turn it, you look and you see things in a different way. And as you put it down and you pick it up the next day and you turn it again, it sees, you see it in a different way again as the light comes through differently. And this is what the word of God is. It's alive, it's living, it's breathing. And it has this power. It's more than just a book. It's holy. The anointed words that are in this are there so that each time you look at it, the light may reflect a little differently in your heart and change you in a new way. And again, don't be discouraged or swayed by those who don't agree or don't believe. They're coming from a different viewpoint, a different perspective. In John chapter 3, when Jesus shares his, favorite, his famous words, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, whosoever believes in him. God didn't send me to condemn the world, but to save it. Whoever believes is not condemned. But a few verses down in verse 19, it says this. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light, because their deeds were evil. Now those who are not yet in Christ are spiritually blind. They don't see and hear things the way that Jesus' followers do. And now slow slow down. Don't get too proud of yourself. That's nothing that you did to achieve. That's a gift of God that no man can boast. But for those of you who, those who are not yet in Christ, the enemy has convinced them that the light hurts. It's just too harsh. Being exposed for who we are is just too painful. The darkness is just more comfortable. And so the truth, well, that just doesn't make sense. 
And yet for those of us who have been graciously brought into the light of Christ, we have learned that it's in the light. It's in the moment of being exposed that we are healed and we are set free. And we know that the truth has set us free. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. God is the one who created the light. And he uses it to cast out the darkness. And he shines his light into our souls so that we may understand the truth and in turn display his glory through our lives. So that as we learn the truth and as we live the truth, our lives, our words, our deeds, they become a visible, tangible display. And those around us who are in darkness, they get glimpses and whispers of the light. Not from people who are freaking out and reacting to their lifestyle that's being threatened by social agendas or political policies. Not by people who are committing themselves to a flesh and blood struggle, but by people who have been set free and who are standing firm in the truth. For us to win the war, we must stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around our waist. It's a critical component to the armor. As we wrap up last week, I encouraged you to start memorizing uh, Ephesians 6, 14 through 18. I want you to, to keep that up. And I'm going to give it a shot here to see how far I've gotten. Therefore, stand firm. The belt of truth. Oh, come on, Matt. I had this. Seriously, I thought I was going to pass out in the first service. And I barely made it through. All right. Stand firm then with the buckle, with the belt of truth firmly buckled around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness in place and your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Okay, that's as far as I've got. All right, all right. Not awesome, not great. Still got some work to do, but hey, listen, it's hard, but it's worth it. I can't tell you how many times this week there have been these moments where I've been so tempted to go into this battle of flesh and blood perspective and start to wrestle with the people in front of me and around me. And it's just been this whispering of this truth that's starting to take root in my heart and my life. Whoa, 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 whoa. hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. What's this battle? What's happening around here? What's the truth in this moment? And as we allow the word of God to take root in us, it can have that power and that effect. So keep doing that. Ask God to begin to reveal to you what it looks like to stand firm in the truth. And I, and I want to challenge you, as crazy as this sounds, I hope it can just be super practical. When you're getting physically dressed and you're putting on and you're buckling your belt or you're buckling something or you get in your car and you buckle your seatbelt, that's fine, whatever. Say this prayer. God, as I buckle this belt that's holding me physically together, I pray that I would stand firm with the belt of truth today. Protect me from the lies of the evil one and lead me back to your truth. Just begin to pray that. And this goes without saying, but as we're memorizing and working through Ephesians 6, be pouring over and reading the word. There's a number of opportunities. We heard about this this morning. Thomas came up on stage and talked about this Iron Man uh, study that's going to start for men on Tuesdays. This is a great way, guys, for you to get the word of God in and around you. Ladies, there's a women's study starting in February. Look at those connection 
group opportunities. These are opportunities for you to get other people around you, which is just so great and what it means to be working together and holding each other up as we put on the armor of God. Don't miss out on taking those steps forward. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you so very much for today. Thank you for the privilege it is to be here together. And Lord, we thank you for your word, the truth. Lord, we live in a very, very confusing world with so many um, just distractions and an overload of information and challenges on what is true and what is not true. And Lord, we stand here today to proclaim that you are the truth. And we need you to change our perspective. We need you to ground us so that we can stand firm in your truth. So lead us in that way, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.